0: We are going to look at, if you grabbed a note sheet, um, normally it's a half sheet, this week it's a full sheet, because we're looking at two of the pieces over the armor of God today, and I had too many notes to fit on one half sheet, so you get, you get a full sheet of paper. Um, there's a whole bunch of scripture passages, so go ahead and go to the next slide there for me, because um, we're going to bounce around all over the place in scripture today. All right, so first we need to look at the belt of truth. So we've looked at the helmet of salvation, right, And a couple of weeks ago, and we looked at how the helmet... Protects our minds, and Satan loves to attack our minds with doubts about Christ's love, about his grace, about him saving us. And we talked about the fact that we aren't holding on to him, he's holding on to us, and that is the protection for our minds. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness, right? And the only other, the the, the second or first, depending on how you want to put them, most important organ in your whole body is the heart, the other one being the brain. Put them whatever order you would like to. And you need to protect your heart because your heart... Jeremiah tells us is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or sick. And Christ makes it righteous, but we need to protect it because Satan knows if he can get to your emotions, he's got you. He knows there are two ways to get to humans for the most part. In our minds, our thought processes, and in our hearts, our emotions, right? And so we need to protect those two things. Paul then continues on to talk about a belt. So let's talk about it. Number one on your note sheet, number one on your note sheet, belt of truth, belt of truth, the belt of truth. So why does he term truth as a belt? Right, we've looked at when we looked at the first two, we recognize that he chose very specifically why the helmet is salvation, why the breastplate is righteousness, right? The Holy Spirit could have said, make the, whole, make the breastplate faith. He didn't. He said righteousness. And with each thing is a specific reason. So why is it a belt of truth? Armor back then is nothing like armor today. Just wasn't. Um, armor today, as in American uh, times and such, you, you tend to wear pants. and Your belt would hold your pants up, right? That's a good thing. I'm wearing one right now. Um, Nobody wants to see. Please put a belt on, people. When you bend over and you're not a plumber, you should probably be wearing a belt. Just saying. Plumbers should wear them as well. Either way. But back then, belts did way more than just hold your pants up. First off, most people didn't wear pants back then. They didn't. It was different style of clothing. Have you ever heard the term gird your loins? Gird your loins means what would happen was everybody would wear a tunic that would go down and flow to right above the knee, right around the knee, right? Today, we would be like, that's a dress. Why didn't men wear a dress? They didn't. It was called a tunic. You wore the whole thing. And what you would do to gird your loins, get this. You would reach down i'm not wearing one so i cannot actually show you how it's done underneath grab the other side of your tunic and wrap it up to about here and then you would wrap your belt around it and why would you do that it held it out of the way while you ran it held your clothes out of the way while you ran it made it so that you weren't in trouble of tripping because of your clothes a belt does a much similar thing today how often did you see somebody running and they're holding their pants up as they run and you're like, they make something for that. A piece of rope would work. I had a teacher in school, who in high school, who if he thought your pants were too low, he would call you into his into his classroom and he would put a piece of rope around your pant loops, your pant, your belt loops, and tie your pants on for you. You can't do that anymore. I know I was only in school 10 years ago, but you can't do that anymore. But right, like, so belts still serve the same purpose, but why then? Okay, so if, if the belt makes you so you didn't stumble, and here's the thing, armor was the same way. We think of armor, well, a lot of times if we don't think of modern armor, we think of medieval armor, right? The big suits, metal suits of armor. That's not really what armor was back then. It would be leather for the most part, and you still were wearing a tunic underneath. And so you still needed to gird your loins and tie them up, tie up the tunic. And so when God says, put on the belt of truth, it is because truth ties everything together. Truth keeps everything in place. So if we're going to say that, we have to define truth. First off, God is the source of truth. The Bible is where he puts it. John 17, 17 reads, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That is Jesus, by the way, I know I've preached a sermon on this before. Jesus prays for us in the Bible. He literally prays for us, future believers. So that's kind of cool. And in this section, in John chapter 17, he's praying and he says, sanctify them in truth. Perfect. Great. What is truth? Your word. God's word is truth. This book is truth. And so, if we're going to tie ourselves up with truth, we have to, one, know where its source is, the Bible, and we have to know how we use it and to grow in it. Ephesians 4, 14 through 15 reads, As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ. Church, just because you're out of school doesn't mean you're, not, you're supposed to stop growing and learning. In fact, the opposite is true. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you ought to know this book pretty well. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying that the book itself says, God himself says, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you should have studied this thing and be growing in it. Um, here's the thing. Children can be tossed around because they don't have that firm foundation yet. I don't mean physically tossed around here, right? But I'm talking about that children haven't yet learned enough. Sorry, kids. You got to keep going to school. But the fact of the matter is that as an adult, God says you don't have any excuses. Now, I want to say this. He's not talking about your physical age. He's talking about your spiritual age. And he's not talking about how many years you've been a Christian necessarily. What he is saying is, if you want to consider yourself a spiritual adult, stop getting tossed around by the waves. Stop worrying about what the news says. Stop worrying about what this book says. Stop worrying about what that pastor says. Stop being tossed around. That every time a new idea comes out, you go, that must be it. You follow what the Bible says. There is nothing new under the sun. If a preacher comes out and says, I discovered something new in scripture, no, they didn't, because there is nothing new. If God wants it revealed, it's been revealed to us. Now, that doesn't mean you can't learn things. I learn things all the time, so it might be new to me, but if I get up here on a Sunday morning and go church, I was reading John three sixteen, and I realized God spoke to me, and it says that God so loved the whole world that he loved his only begotten son he doesn't mean it means only begotten son not his only son church you should kick me out immediately because that's not what that verse says right if you want to be a spiritual adult you have to recognize that this world tries to trick it tries to to use falsehoods and here's the key and i'll ask you this did satan in the garden of eden When he's talking to Eve, did Satan outright, completely and utterly lie to Eve? No, he did not. He deceived. He did not lie. What did he say? He twisted it. He said, did God truly say you will not surely die? He twists it and causes Eve to doubt. He did not get up there and say, Eve, God did not say you would not surely die. He twisted it. He put just a little bit of truth in there. He causes Eve then to think about her physical life, not her spiritual life. Because Eve did die the moment she ate, and so did Adam. They died spiritually. The best lies. A lot of you in here have been parents, grandparents, maybe even great-grandparents. You know this, either because you've done it or heard your kids do it or other people's kids do it or whatever. The fact of the matter is the best lies have truth inside of them. Because there has to be something you can believe. That's the key. If you're going to lie, very rarely do you just outright tell a falsehood. Because that's easy to, to decipher. But if you tell me a lie, and there's four parts to it, and one of those parts is true, or two of those parts is true, or three of those parts are true, guess what? I have a lot of trouble not believing those parts that aren't true now. That's the way it works. That's the way Satan works. And so you have to know what is true. And Satan is deceitful and he schemes. And he will get you to be tossed around by the waves. And you can't do that. 2 Timothy um, 2, 15 reads, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling or dividing, your translation might say, the word of truth. Be diligent. It's an action word. So you have to know where the source of truth is. It's the Bible. You have to know that you're supposed to be growing in it, and you have to know how to use it. Church, you're probably going to get tired of me saying this because I keep saying it over and over and over again over the past months and years. Know your Bible. Know what it says. Satan does. You'd better The fact of the matter is that you are called to be diligent, not just me as a pastor. That verse is not just written to pastors or missionaries or evangelists. That verse is written to believers, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, accurately dividing the word of truth, knowing and understanding what it says. I said it two weeks ago. My dad said it last week, and now I'm going to say it to you again. You are called to be wise. Wisdom is knowledge applied correctly. It is not knowledge applied. It is not knowledge. It is knowledge applied correctly. You have to know what this book says, and then not just that. You have to know how to use it. I'm a big proponent of memorizing Scripture. I think it's a great thing. But I will tell you this much. You can memorize as many verses as you would like to, but if you don't know how to use them or what they say, really, it's not pointless but it's like attacking with a dull sword. You'll do some damage, but not nearly as much as you could have if you had used that weapon correctly. Or, like this, have you ever tried to pound in a nail with a screwdriver? Eventually it goes in, doesn't it? You're whacking away at it, and eventually it goes in. But boy, if you used a hammer, it would go a whole heck of a lot easier. Memorizing Scripture without knowing what it says and how to use it is like trying to use a screwdriver to hammer in a nail. You're just going to be frustrated, and eventually it might go, might, not all the time, might go, but if you just pick up the hammer that's right next to you, that job would be done in three seconds. I work with my dad a lot on various projects around the church and stuff like that, and the amount of times that we're like, you know, if we had the right tool for this, things would go a whole heck of a lot easier. It's the case. So the belt of truth ties everything together. It holds that breastplate of righteousness in place. How do you know what righteousness is? It's truth found in Scripture. It holds the whole ensemble together. Let's move on. Number two on your note sheet. Number two. The shoes of readiness. The shoes of readiness. Now, I did not put the whole name on there because it's quite long. Paul terms the shoes of readiness as the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. That tells us what it actually is. You're not just supposed to put on shoes so you're ready to go. There's a specific thing you are doing. So first, as we've talked about with the helmet and the breastplate and the belt, now let's talk about what kind of shoes, right? They were not nice loafers. They were not a nice pair of work boots. They were not, um, I've got dress shoes on. They were not dress shoes. They were not a nice pair of, as my grandma would call them, thongs. Thongs are flip-flops in case you didn't know. One day, me and my three older siblings were at my grandma's house and my two sisters were both wearing flip-flops and she looks down at their feet and she goes, man, it's been a long time since I wore thongs. I don't think I could wear them anymore. My grandma was in her 80s at this point. Things that make you go, And the four of us looked at her aghast that she would inform us about the type of undergarment she could no longer wear. And she looked at us, and we looked at her, and we're like, do we do we say something? Do we just let this pass? Is this a core memory that's gonna scar us for the rest of our lives? Therapy, amen. And she goes, what? And we said, Grandma, we don't really wanna know about it. And she goes, they're on your feet. And we went, flip-flops? And she goes, We called them thongs when I was a girl, and I'm like, I'm out. Can't do it. Can't do it. So they're not a nice pair of flip-flops. What they are were a pair of sandals that not just would wrap around your feet. You've seen them in pictures and stuff. They would go all the way up to here. They weren't boots because it would be uh, leather straps that went all the way around. But that is what soldiers would wear. Why? It supported your ankle a little better. And it held the shoes on. Because in battle, you really don't want to be running towards the enemy. And you get a flat tire and there goes the shoe. And now you're walking across God knows what. Towards an enemy that has both of their shoes on. And you're like, okay, let's go. You got to keep your balance as you're trying to fight them. No, you want them tied on tight. They were made ready for battle. And so it's readiness for what? The gospel of peace. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Not a rhetorical question, church. What is the first word of that sentence? Go. If you were going to term the word go, would you call it passive, action-oriented? Is it a verb, right? And verbs tell us what we're supposed to do or what we are doing or what we have done. Go. A lot of Christians like to show up to church on a Sunday morning. They praise God. They go home, and they say, we'll see you in a week. And they don't even think about him, let alone talk about him to anybody for one week. And then they show up on Sunday morning and they say, here's a 20 in the offering plate. Great music pastor, great message. We'll see you in a week. And they don't think about God and don't talk about God. And they live their whole life like that. This is not, excuse me, this is not a message only to pastors. It is a message to believers. Go and make disciples of all the nations. It is an action word. It means you have to be ready at a moment's notice. Peter 3.15 reads, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Always be ready in and out of season. Church, you are not allowed to have a bad day. Sorry, that does not mean you can't have days that bad things are going on. Those happen quite a lot. It does mean, and I'm sorry to tell you this because boy, I wish it weren't true. You don't get to look at unbelievers or even other believers and go, I know I'm treating badly. I'm just having a bad day. It doesn't work like that. You have no excuse. Be ready in and out of season to make a defense to everyone who asks Everyone, family, friend, enemy, co-worker, stranger, be ready. We have the greatest gift out there. The greatest story ever told. The greatest thing in all of history. It is Christ Jesus. How dare we hoard him? How would you feel if somebody had hoarded him from you and didn't tell you about it? This is an exclusive club, but not because we're not talking about it, right? The first rule of fight club is don't talk about fight club. The first rule of Christianity is be so annoying to everybody because you won't stop talking about what Jesus has done for you. It's an exclusive club because people don't want to accept it. But it is not an exclusive club because we're not supposed to talk about it. And when Paul talks about putting on the armor of God, it's not just about defending ourselves from Satan. It is about going into battle. And that is what it is. We are in a spiritual battle for the souls of the people around us. And we are called to be ready in and out of season to preach it to anyone who would listen. Now, I'm not saying you have to be like me, right? I'm an in-your-face sort of guy. I'm not saying you've got to be like me. Be you. God gave you an ability to do it too. You are supposed to speak in boldness. You're not supposed to speak apologetically. You're not supposed to go, well, you know, I'm I'm a Christian, but if you don't want to talk about that, it's okay. No. Anytime I have a known unbeliever in the car with me, I somehow, get us to the topic of what Christ did. Sometimes I just blatantly say, all right, I know you haven't accepted Christ, but you got in the car with me, so here we go. Sometimes I make it work into the conversation we're already talking about because if they get out of my car and I haven't talked to them about Christ, I don't know what happens to them. I have to know that I have done what God has asked me to do. They are shoes of readiness to go. Now, sometimes there have been people That I have built a relationship with before I talk to Christ about them. Or talk to them about Christ. Right? Sometimes it takes a while. I don't deny that. Sometimes you build this relationship with people, but they should know who you are, what you believe, and why you believe it. I have a good friend who I know is not a believer. He knows that I am. He knows that I'm a pastor. He has come to church. Right? Love him to death. Every time I see him, I do not talk about the Bible. I don't every single time I see him. But every time that I do, I ask God for the opportunity. I say, God, give me the opportunity to, and then the boldness to speak, if you grant it. And every once in a while, he gives me that opportunity. Now, I've built a relationship with this with this guy over the course of uh, 10 to 15 years. He knows what I believe. I know what he believes. I still present him the gospel we are called to go into this battle with our our tunic tied up because of truth, because we know it and we know how to use it, with our minds protected with salvation and our hearts protected with righteousness. Next week, we're going to talk about the the, the, um, sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith, our two handheld weapons slash defensive things and how to use them. But that's the armor. And the shoes of readiness get overlooked quite often because we talk about the breastplate and the helmet and the shield. And as a kid, I'm like, yeah, a sword. I like that. And the shoes just somehow always get overlooked, and yet they may be the most important piece. Go into battle. Let's apply it to our lives, shall we? I wrote it down there so that you can have it. Wisdom is knowledge applied correctly. You have to know how to use it, folks. You can come at me and shout scriptures all you want to, and if it's not changing your life because you're not applying them to your life, it doesn't matter. And we all know people like that, that can say so many scripture verses out that they just could pull anything out anywhere, and yet they don't apply them to their lives. Secondly, always be ready to share the gospel. Always be ready, in and out of season. It should never take you by surprise that you share the gospel. Thursday night, I was in Green Gables with my wife. We were watching her parents play shuffleboard and stuff. And somebody came and they were out talking to Maddie, and I was talking to them, and they asked me some questions that I was not prepared for, quite frankly. They weren't gospel questions but they also were not questions that I was expecting to answer that night. I should say that. I was prepared to answer them. I knew what I believed, and I knew what the Bible said, but I was not expecting to answer those questions that night. That's okay. You should always be expecting to answer questions about the gospel because you should be the one who's bringing it up. You should be the one who is making it so they have questions through your life, through how you talk, all of it. So be ready. And then here's your practical, and you look down there, and you're like, boy, he wrote down a bunch of Scripture passages. What's that about? I gave you some. I did half the work for you for the practical application today. In order to preach the Gospel, you have to know the Gospel. In order to know the Gospel, you find it in here. So, here's your practical. I want you to study Scriptures about the Gospel this week. Look at Scriptures that present the gospel. And I wrote them down there. There's an Old Testament one. There's a bunch of New Testament ones, right? And I did not write down all of them. I didn't get close to writing down all of them, right? Some of them you'll know. John 3.16 is a common one. Mark 10.45, not so much. I didn't write it down, but Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is part of the gospel. It's the end of it, what we're supposed to do with it. We talk often about being a church, being believers that will be on fire for God, that will change our, our, our towns, our nations, our, our workplaces, our families for God. So do it. little less talk and a lot more action. That's the key. I can stand up here and talk to you till I'm blue in the face. And nothing will change in New Milford, Halstead, Great Bend, Montrose, um, Tunkanunk, wherever. Tunkanic. It's like when you say Throop instead of Troop. Or Montrose instead of Montrose, stuff like that, right? Either way, I can talk till I'm blue in the face and nothing will change in this town unless we are the ones presenting the gospel. You've got to have the shoes on. and you got to have the belt on. So you don't stumble over yourself like I tend to do sometimes. Would you pray with me, Father? We do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the uh, the gift as you have given us both in salvation and then in your word, Father. I thank you for the belt of truth to tie everything together. I pray that you would help us to understand the belt and understand truth. That we would find it in your word. That we would apply it to our lives and therefore be able to apply it outside of our own lives. And then, Father, I pray. that you would help us put on the shoes of readiness. It is the readiness of the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. You came for peace, and we can offer it. In a world full of turmoil, in a world of hatred, in a world of hardships, you are the one who gives peace, and we shouldn't hoard it. Help us to be ready, not just like, okay, I'm standing at the start-finish line, but I am running this race ready to preach the gospel. Give us a blessed rest of this week. We thank you, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray, amen and amen.